We're going to be looking at 1 Samuel today, but we're going to be focusing on chapters 14 and 15. And I'm going to start by telling you the story. So if you want to, you can go home and read through the whole book of Samuel or even just the chapters 14, 15, 16, kind of like in there. But for today, I'm going to tell you the story. So there was no king in Israel. God was the king. And the people didn't really like this so much. So they began to chant, we want a king, we want a king, we want a human king. God wasn't so much into that, but because the people wanted it so much, he said, okay, I will give them a king. So he talked to his prophet Samuel, and he said, Samuel, I am going to show you the man that I want to be the first king of Israel, and his name is Saul. Well, Samuel found Saul, and Saul had an encounter with the Spirit of God, and it says he was transformed into a new man. Saul, at 40 years old, began his reign as the first king of Israel. Two years into his reign, he began to develop teams. He had 3,000 men over here, he had 2,000 men over here, and he had 1,000 men with his son, Jonathan. Jonathan had a team. And the rest, he said, I'm going to like send you home. He kind of gave them like a leave of absence. You know, go be with your wife and kids and chill. Well, Team Jonathan headed out and smoked the Philistine army, the garrison at Jeba. Just took them out. And the word got out of this big win. And King Saul heard, and he was excited. So excited, he blew a trumpet. And it was like a whole thing, a whole celebration. However, this put Israel in the bad books from the people from Philly. They didn't like this. And they were like, we are going to counterattack. So they showed up to attack, and they had a huge crew, huge. They had 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and the Bible says troops, so many as sand on the seashore, a multitude of troops. This wasn't good. This was not good for Israel. They were in a tight spot, and they were scared. They were so scared that they began to hide everywhere. They went into caves. They hid behind rocks and cliffs. They went even into tombs and cisterns, like water holes. Some of them ran off to a city named Gad, which means luck. Some of them ran off to a city named Gilead, which means hill of testimony. I mean, literally, they're trying everything here. Saul stayed back, and there was a few people that stayed with him. But the people that stayed with him literally didn't leave him. Like, he moved, they moved. He moved, they were like behind him, you know, because they were so scared for their lives. Seven days, Saul waited, because Samuel the prophet had said, hey, Saul, wait seven days. (laughs) So he was listening to his advice. Well, seven days came and went, and it was a long seven days. And Samuel didn't show up. And he's like, where is Samuel? Like, seriously, man, like, don't you understand the situation we're in? Like, it's really hard here. The people are freaking out. They're hiding in caves, in tombs. Some have gone off to, you know, other cities that are speaking good vibes over them because they think that maybe that will help. And, and, And the crew that I'm left with, they're literally in fetal position. Like, where are you, Samuel? Like, I need you. Well... Samuel shows up, but not before Saul reached a desperate situation. And his desperate situation was this. He said, I, I know I'm not supposed to because the Lord said, don't be doing these burnt offerings right now. But I... At any minute, I feel like the Philistines are going to attack. And I'm a little bit stressed about going into battle without making a sacrifice to the Lord. And I know it's kind of against what I'm supposed to do, but I think I'm going to do a burnt offering. So he, 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 he gets the stuff together to do a burnt offering. And he's literally like 
all done, said and done. He's getting the chaff and the sweeping away the ashes and stuff. And lo and behold, who could make his appearance but the man of power for the hour, the prophet Samuel. And he walks in and he's like, wait, and Saul sees him. And he comes out and he's like, you're here. Like, 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 why did you take so long? And, and Samuel's like, dude, do I smell burnt popcorn? I mean, not really. But he smelled the burnt offering. He's like, what have you done? You knew you weren't supposed to do that. Like, what, like, what is happening here? And he's like, Samuel, you know what? You don't understand. We're in a tight spot. I have people in tombs. I have people in, like, toilet water holes, like, hanging out, wait, waiting. They're so afraid of the Philistine army. And you didn't even bother to show up and help. And you're the prophet of the Lord. And Samuel's, but, but you aren't supposed to do an offering. God is really the only one that can help you in the situation you're not even following his commands like what is the deal so they have this interaction and then Samuel is like you know what you you messed up you're done you dismissed the Lord's command and 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 you're done here and he walks away Saul stands there he looks around of all the thousands that he had to begin with he has 600 men left so it's him his son Jonathan and these guys and they're just like, what's going to happen now? Well, Jonathan gets a little bit tired of waiting. So he's like, okay. So he, like, creeps over to his armor bearer. And he's like, dude, come with me. So they, like, creep away from the crowd. He's like, what? He's like, well, I have a plan. And the plan is this. We're going to go and fight. Me and you. And the armor bearer's like, that sounds good. He's like, because here's the deal. He said, what is it? Maybe the Lord will do it. Because what is it to stop the Lord from winning with many or with few? He's like, their odds don't count to God. And so he's like, what do you think? And the armor bearer is like, that sounds good to me. He's like, okay, well, here's the plan. We're going to go up and we're going to let the men see us. And if they say, wait, we'll wait. But if they say, come, we're going to go up and we're going we're gonna to win. Because we're going to look at that as a sign from God that we got the victory. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like that makes sense to me. But it worked. It worked. So he was onto something. Jonathan was onto something. So they went and, and literally two of them just like demolished. It was like 20 soldiers or something just on their own. And Saul had watchmen watching what was, and they're like, what is happening here? Like, it, so they reported back to Saul, and Saul's like, who's missing? Like, who did this? And so they look around, and they find out that it was Jonathan and his armor bearer was the only two. Well, they were hyped. They were like, we're doing it, we're doing it. Two of us killed like 20 of them, and this is awesome. And then, they, so Saul began to rally his people and go into battle. They felt strong. They felt powerful. And Philly, the people, they were like a hot mess. They're like, how did these two people like kill a bunch of us? Like, how did this even happen? So things be, seemed to be turning around. Even the cowards that were hiding in caves came out, and they were like, yeah, we're going into battle. God did it. They went into the battle and saw literally killing it, killing it as king. They won the fight and they're on this super high note, except for one thing. They were hungry. And the hunger was stressing them out. Right? So apparently Saul had them all take an oath prior to this before they fought they were all huddled up and he said this hey guys repeat after me raise your right hand and why don't we just you know do it because why not raise your right hand and he said this so repeat after me I will not in any form eat any food no matter what until the enemy is destroyed this is the oath they took how many know that there is a time to feast and a time to fast? And a time to fast is not when you're like working out, <laughs> when you're about to go into battle. Well, this was the oath they took. So they were hungry and then they saw honey, honey. So picture me with me, Winnie the Pooh in the 100 acre woods. And he sees honey, a honey pot. 
They're so hungry. And then Jonathan, Saul's son, he doesn't know about the oath because he was like off doing other things. And he doesn't know. And he sees the honey and he takes the huge scoop from his hand and pours it in his mouth. And he's like, ah. And (laughs) he instantly was like a new person. The people are like, dude, what are you doing? We're not supposed to do that. And he's like, what are you talking about? He's like, we're not supposed to be eating anything. Remember the oath and the right hand and the whole thing. You're like eating honey. And he's like, guys, that's crazy. That's crazy. Look how good I feel. Like, like, just look at me. Like, I'm like a new person. You can't do all this work and not eat. Like, that's crazy. Well, it was an oath. And it was an oath that the king declared. So this was a problem for Jonathan. So Jonathan now was at risk of losing his life for breaking the oath. Well, it was this whole thing, and and Jonathan's life was about to be taken for breaking this oath, but then the people stepped in, and they're like, are you serious? No, we cannot have him lose his life for this. Honestly, would we even be in the situation, the good situation we are without Jonathan? So they pulled back, and they allowed him to live. This pretty much brings us to where we are right now. So present tense, we pick up the story. Samuel is back and he's face to face with Saul. And he says this, Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you as king. Now listen to me, I have a word for you. Thus saith the Lord, Go and smite the Amalekite and utterly destroy all they have. Do not spare them, both women and men, babies, animals, including, but not limited to, ox, sheep, donkey, and camels. Saul's like, this is so cool. We got another gig. Yes! He sets up the team. They're ready for battle. They fight to the end. It is crazy, but it is awesome. And in the the excitement of the moment, Saul grabs the king, King Agag, and he puts a bag over his head and he stuffs him in the trunk. And then he grabs all the cattle, the best cattle though, only the good ones, the ox and the camels, and he puts them in the trailer and away they go. Wait, what? So Samuel's home chilling. And he's laying there in his bed. And the voice of the Lord booms through the house. I regret making Saul king. Samuel's like, oh my Lord, what has he done? Samuel's upset. God's upset. Everyone's having a moment. Samuel can't sleep. He's literally lays there all night. He's like, what am I going to have to face now? What am I going to have to deal with now? So what have you done? Well, he already has a coffee appointment set in the morning. So that's good with Saul. So he shows up and he walks in to meet up with him. And Saul comes out and he's like, Sam, I did it. I did my duties for the Lord. Check. Sam was like, seriously, man, stop it. Like I can hear the sheep. Like they're still alive. Like I can hear them. He's like, no, 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 no. Those are just the extras. Those are the extras, the really good ones. We completely, utterly destroyed all the others. Dude, what part of all do you not understand? There are no extras. The Lord sent you on a mission and you failed it. Why? No, 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 I did it. I literally went the way he said to go and then I came back the way and, you know, I like, I even, you know, I brought the king, but I utterly destroyed everyone else. And the people, they just, they wanted to bring the best animals because, you know, we want to make an awesome sacrifice to the Lord, only the best, right? All for God. It's all for God. Samuel shakes his head. He's like, which is better? Obedience or sacrifice? See, to obey 
is better than sacrifice. Saul rebelled against the Lord. And Samuel's like, if you know anything, you know the rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. He's like, Saul, it's basically like you're being a witch. And stubbornness is like idolatry. So anyway, you've rejected him, so he's rejecting you, so you are done. Done for. Saul, he just kind of hits him. He's like, oh, no. Okay, just hold up. I messed up. I was afraid of the people. I was afraid of the people, and I really wanted them to like me. So, you know what? I can fix it. I can go back, and we can, like, do things different. And you know what? Actually, let's worship. Let's worship. Let's just worship right here. Let's have a worship night. We can have a worship night. We can flow. We can do a prophetic ministry. It's going to be awesome. I can fix this. Samuel's like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. You rejected the Lord. He rejected you as king. It's over, and my role here is over as well. Samuel turns to walk away, and Saul grabs the mantle on him, and he tears it. And then, and then Samuel wh whips around, and he's like, see, the Lord has taken, has torn the kingdom of Israel from you to this day, and he has given it to a, another person, a better person. Come on, Saul says. Come on, let's get the team back together. We'll have like a worship night, like I mentioned, and we can even have prayer with it we could do prayer I'll be better I can do better I want to do better I want to worship your God and Saul just in that moment in his desperation just starts to worship I can only imagine this scene Samuel knows it's over for Saul he's had one too many cho chances and it's over and then Sam says he says, hey, someone bring me King Agag because there's some unfinished work here. King Agag walks in all happy to be alive. He says, like, dodge that bullet, whatever, stuffed in a trunk, not a big deal. And Samuel says, oh, I see what's happening here. You think you got off with what the Lord had commanded, but not today. It wasn't my job, but I'm going to handle it in this moment. He said, and you will be punished for the evil life that you've lived, the countless children alone that you've killed. So now I will kill you. And the Bible says that he hewed Agag before the Lord in pieces in the city of Gilgal. Samuel did the work of the Lord that Saul neglected to do, and Saul lost his kingdom. See, there is a cost to our disobedience. We see it here. The moment Saul took the situation into his own hands, he began to alter the plan of God. Repercussions began to build. See, sacrifice is good, but obedience is better. To obey is better than sacrifice. When we make sacrifice the goal, we take our relationship with the Lord to a, you know what, I'll do this for you, and then we're good. We get the check mark. We settled the score. It doesn't really matter what was asked because I did all this over here. I gave up all this over here. The question is, how do we even get to that place where we are having this conversation in our head, this dialogue, that we can do that and we can make negotiations? What factors in? Is it tiredness? I've just got so much going on, and this is pretty good anyway. Or is it apathy? Honestly, I care, but not enough to be inconvenienced. Or is it pride? I don't want to admit I'm wrong. Or this actually this way makes me look pretty good, so I'm going to do it this way. See, these things begin to factor in our lives as we make room to qualify our disobedience on the basis of how much our sacrifice hurts. But there is a cost to my disobedience, and the first cost is my integrity. Samuel confronted Saul. He said, what did you do? And Saul denied his disobedience. He's like, I carried out the Lord's instructions. This was a lie. You cannot portion out your obedience. 
Samuel shoots back, I hear the sheep. Saul shifts the blame. It was the people. They, they, they wanted to do this awesome sacrifice for the Lord. See, when we disobey the Lord, generally the first thing to go is our integrity. We begin to slip down this slope of cover-ups, half-truths, unjust justifications, compartmentalizing our lives. I was in my second year of college when I met this young guy, Will. And Will was in his senior year of high school. He had this incredible call of the Lord on his life. I mean, for worship, anointed, powerful, talented, skilled, charisma to spare. God was calling him to go into ministry school and to be a worship pastor. And he was, yes, I will do that. Yes, I'm helping out my local church. I'm giving my time. I'm get, I mean, he was just giving a lot, giving it all. But in his personal life, it was different. In relationships, in honor of authority in his life, like parents and, and some other authority, he didn't get it. He didn't listen to advice. He didn't listen to counsel. Um, he crossed lines. He ruined relationships. And he collected baggage, so much baggage. Well, he did end up going off to ministry school. A lot of baggage went with him. He didn't even make it through his first year. Dropped out. Life began to spiral because he didn't want to give up certain things in order to chase the one thing. More than 20 years later, he has never come back. He never recovered from what seemed to be just a small act here and a small act here of disobedience. Just a little thing here. Well, I'm giving all this over here. It works, right? It evens out. See, there is a cost to my disobedience. The second cost is my future. Fear of man and ordinary distractions opens the door for disobedience. It did for Saul and it will for us too. You know, we have made it, it's interesting, we have made everyday life disobedience so commonplace that it naturally kind of seeps into our spiritual life. We say things like this, oh, boys will be boys. What is that? Oh, teenage girls, they always act like that. Oh, you don't, you, well, you know, we don't actually, we have freedom of speech and we, everyone has a right to their own interpretation of what's required and what should be and what shouldn't be. No one actually has to follow rules anymore. Saul rebelled against the Lord. Disobeying God is not a small thing. We make it small at times as we overemphasize the love and the grace with little emphasis on the holiness and righteousness. We've made it so commonplace as we've normalized our children's misbehavior and our society's misbehavior. But Samuel, he's like, nope, I'm not letting this slide. No way. He's like, rebellion is like witchcraft and arrogance, the evil of idolatry. He's like, Saul, disobeying God is 100% rebellion. So you're pretty much the same as a low-key devil worshiper, bare minimum self-worshiper. Samuel says, and because you rejected the word of the Lord, he rejected you as king. You can't have it both ways. And Saul's kingdom ended and his dynasty was cut short. See, the moment I stop living for him and start living for me, I've brought my future to a screaming halt. For Saul, the fear of man and longing for praise and approval completely offset God's priority of obedience. Even his, in confession, you see the fear of man at work. He's, he's like, I, I, was, I, I messed up. I broke my commitment to the Lord. But I was afraid of the people. And then even when he said, I'm sorry, he said, I'm, I'm so sorry. So could you now honor me in front of the people and tell them I'm sorry? See, he was sorry, but not sorry enough to change. We need to stop overstating I'm sorry. It's our fake I'm sorries 
An apology isn't supposed to make us look good. It's supposed to reveal our change of heart that I will never do that thing again. Fear of man will force us to portion ourselves out just to be enough of what we think we should be to please others, but not too much so that others don't think that we think we're too good. See, as, we're, as long as we're answering to another God in our lives, we will never be able to answer to the one true God in obedience. When I was in college, I was asked to uh, speak at our chapel. We'd have chapels once a week. And this wasn't a normal thing um, that students got to do. So I was like pretty excited about it um, that I got to do this. So I, I, I did my thing and then I had some prophetic words at the end. And I did share most of them. But there was one in particular that I held back because um, it was for someone very important in the room. and. I held back because I was afraid that I would look, that my friends in the room would think that I thought I was better than them. So I was like, well, I'll do a, a couple. Like God asked me to do like all of these, but I'll do like most of them. And I'll hold back the one because I don't want to, I don't want them to think that I think I'm better than them. Disobedience is disobedience. Pride is pride. And it shows in different ways. See, fear of man and pride can manifest in so many different ways. You know, you're afraid of not looking good, that others won't agree, you want approval. Or you're afraid of looking too good. That I don't want people to think that I think that I'm better than them. So I'm just not going to obey the Lord here. And he'll understand. Fear of man affects our future. And then there's distractions. All the ordinary distractions of life, the, the, the things that just don't matter. And there, here was Saul. He was so distracted by the things that don't matter. He worried about Samuel not showing up. He's like, it's been seven days and two minutes. Like, he's not here. You know, he's stressed about making an offering before he goes into battle. So I'm just going to, I know I'm not supposed to, but I'm going to do this burnt offering because sacrifice is good, right? And, and, and then he's, he makes an oath, everyone, not to eat, you know, until we do all these things. And, and he's distracted by all these things that, that he thinks are important and thinks that will help him progress. But yet it wasn't the assignment of the Lord. Obedience was. I believe that one of the enemy's greatest tactics is to tire out the church and to tire out our families. He will exhaust us with distractions. He'll have us debating which song to sing. He'll have us negotiating which way to do that or which way to do this. He'll have us fighting one another all in the name of, of, of making you know, ourselves better, our families better, our church better, look better, sound better, feel better. He'll have families in disagreements about important matters, priorities and decisions. He'll have drama, conversations, meetings, 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 meetings. <laughs> so many meetings. <sighs> Putting out fires all in the name of unity and being open-minded. He'll trick us into fake forms of agreeing to disagree, but yet... I'm still mad about it. You're still mad about it. We become distracted from what needs to be happening, which is the advancing of the kingdom of God. Reaching people, loving one another, actually, in a church, in our homes, in our city. See, there's no other way for the kingdom of God to advance besides through the children of God. But when the children aren't playing well, this doesn't happen. And then... We just complain about everything. We are distracted, selfish people looking for comfort and attention, willing to portion out our obedience so that it's just enough to look the part, but not enough to reach God's heart. And our future suffers. See, there is a cost to my disobedience. The third cost is my counsel. The voice of the Lord gets quieter and quieter the less we obey. We deafen our ear to him. 
Saul's disobedience costs Samuel's counsel. It says in the, in the end of the chapter, Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. See, they no longer had anything in common. Saul was self-righteous, and while religious, Samuel was only for the glory of God. It's different. It can look similar. It's different. See, we can do all the things that make us look like Christ, but never truly know him. God gives us many commands, but our sacrifice of time and talents and treasure will not substitute for obedience. It will not. Oswald Chambers said this. He said, the counterfeit of obedience is a state of mind in which you work up occasions to sacrifice yourself. We have to follow the voice of the Lord. If he's asking us to give something, we have to give something. If he's asking us to give up something, we have to give up something. Charles Spurgeon wrote in 1866, long time ago, he said it is no new thing for Christians to know their duty, to have their conscience enlightened about it, and yet to neglect it. Wow, not much has changed. In, in high school, I had a friend, a best friend, and her and I did, like, everything together. And we went to church together, and we did youth group together, and we just went to the mall, and we did everything. It was, she was just, like, my best friend. And towards, like, middle of our senior year, she suddenly was like, I want to do life differently. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, we did sleepovers every Friday night. Like, it was awesome. We just think. And she's like, yeah, I just want to try another way. Like, I want to try a different way, like, other than God. Like, I'd still be a Christian. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to, like, not be a Christian. But I don't want to be, like a, like, a full Christian, you know? Like, I want to, like, live both. Like, I want to compartmentalize my life. I'll still, like, go to church and stuff. But I'm not going to, like, be hardcore like we were. I was like, oh, okay. Well, we, we stayed friends. But it was never the same. We didn't have the main thing in common anymore. So we still hung out from time to time, but honestly, our paths just went different ways. See, sometimes those who are with you now will make choices that don't line up with your calling and your future, and sometimes they don't move forward with you. Samuel knew. He knew this was the case for him and Saul. And he was really sad about it. It says in the Bible that he grieved Saul. However, there's an author, R. Steele, says this of Samuel. He said he would not compromise his principles for the sake of keeping favor of a king. And Samuel's absence would be a constant reproof to Saul of his rebellion and disobedience. We have a valuable life to live for Jesus. And no one, absolutely no one is responsible for me except me. Obedience is key. It starts there and it's the point that unlocks all other aspects needed to live our lives in complete fulfillment to the cause of Christ. And in order to do this well, we have to walk in favor and authority. See, many of us walk around and we are filled to the rim with gifts and anointing and calling and all. And I can see it on you and you can see it on you. And we all agree <laughs> that it's there. But you never quite find yourself in an opportunity that can be used fully. Why? It's because we lack favor and authority. See, favor gets you in the room and authority allows you to move things around. Okay? Obedience is the spotlight on my life for favor and the conduit on my life for authority. Because obedience allows the goodness of the Lord to flourish through us. See, if you feel like you have so much to offer, I have so much to offer, I have such a big calling, such a big promise, but never like a big opportunity or, or there's like little advancement in the opportunity that I have, we need to check our obedience level. Maybe you're full on sacrifice, but low on obedience. You give your time, you give your money, you give your skill, but you haven't given your heart. Have I given my heart 
have I given my heart? See, it's a lot of sacrifice and a little obedience. We want to be used of God, but we want it on our own terms. You know, I want, I want God to use my finances to do amazing things, to build amazing things. But I want to decide when I give, where I give, and how much I give. I want to do awesome things for God. Like I, I, but I don't want to lay down my favorite things. I, I want to be blessed, but don't ask me to be a blessing. And I want to reap, but I don't really want to sow. Maybe I can give some of what you're asking, but not everything. Like, that's still good, right? I'll portion out this and I'll portion out that and I'll make it even. See, the only way to be fully used of him is to fully yield to him. How many know that we all want friendship, but not many of us want lordship? The problem is you cannot go in friendship where you have not gone in lordship. So it's your posture at his feet that positions your ear to his mouth. So our obedience cost, our disobedience cost us his counsel, his voice, because we must be yielded. Yielded to the Lord. Yielded to what he's doing in our lives. Yielded to what he's asking. Yielded to the leaders he's put in our lives and, and, and the wisdom that he's put in your ear from people. What an awesome gift we have to have pastors and leaders in our lives. I think about the pastors in my life. I mean, wow, where would I be without them? Like they have given me counsel. They give me advice. They have been my greatest fan. They have championed me. They have believed in me. They have called me higher. They have challenged me and corrected me. I mean, I had to listen, <laughs> but they've been there. The thing is, though, none of those benefits would have been even possible if my whole goal in, in, in my relationship with the Lord and to them was friendship. That's the goal, friendship with the Lord and with them. Goal, friendship. Wait, what? It sounds good, right? My goal in relationship with the Lord and my leaders aren't friendship. My goal is submission. My goal is lordship with the Lord, submission to my leaders. There's been many pastors in my life and spiritual fathers and mothers. I've never approached them with like, we should be friends. We should be buddies. Because I knew there'd be things I'd miss out on that I can't get with a friend, but I can get as I submit to a leader. A yieldedness to counsel, to guidance, to teaching and instruction. See, God has placed these people in our lives and we will squander what they have to give us if friendship is our goal. I must get low. I must get in the place of submission. I will reap the reward of friendship as I submit to lordship with the Lord. I will reap the reward of friendship with my leaders as I submit to counsel and advice. See, it comes back around. The friendship comes, but it's not the goal, but it just comes because you're in a place to receive it. See, it's really hard for someone to pour into me if I, if, if, if I approach, if I have you know, if Jesus is in the room and he approaches me and we're like face to face and he's trying to pour on me, it's like really hard if we're like in a line. Can you imagine? Like, Craig, why don't you come up here? Let me I'm kind of thirsty. I'm just going to take a drink. But if he approaches me this way and I'm just trying, you can stay right there. Back. And I'm trying to like, that's really hard, right? Because it's across. But if he's down low, You can get low. Yeah. I'm actually going to pour it on him. See the difference? See, it's submission and yieldedness is where we're watered. It's where we're nourished. See, obedience positions us here in submission to the Lord, in submission to our leaders. 
across, it's really hard to get that water that we're freshing in. But when you're down low, the Lord can dump the bucket. Your leaders can dump the bucket of counsel, of advice, of pouring into you, of praying over you. I don't know about you, but I want it all. I want it all. I want all that God has for my life. I want all that he has put in my life to come through. I want all of my integrity. into. I don't want to compartmentalize my life. Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to have a compartment over here and a compartment over here and you see this, but you see this? And Why would I want to do that? Why wouldn't I want to just have an open life to the Lord and to people? I want my future secure. I don't want to shipwreck my future because I did a little disobedience here and a little disobedience here, and now I'm just like spiraling. I want all of the counsel that God's put in my life. I want to hear from his voice, and the only way is to get low so that my ear is in tune with his mouth. I want the counsel and wisdom of others that they can pour into me. They can pour See, we, we will reap the friendship with the Lord. We will reap the friendship with our leaders as we submit to the Lordship and as we submit to the council. But we have to stay low. See, pouring up is not a thing. Pouring across is barely possible. We have to yield. To obey is better than sacrifice. See, let's not over-spiritualize our sacrifice and miss our opportunity to obey because this is how we're watered. This is how we're refreshed and nourished. Samuel had to tell the truth. He had to confront Saul. And then he did what Saul refused to do. He put Agag to death. Samuel having to do Saul's work. Samuel's a prophet. He wasn't a military man. Now he's out slaying people. Why? Because God's work will be done. And if you wait or refuse, someone else will do it. God doesn't need you. He wants you. He wants you. He wants you to want him. He wants you to want to obey. Not just to go through the motions of a sacrifice, to make it look good on paper. Oh, man, look at all my tithing this year. And that super cool gift to missions. That was huge. That was good. I'm a pretty good Christian. Maybe even a great one with that last donation. He doesn't, like, look at all the time I give. Look at how many times a week I'm in the church building. Look at how much I give to this area and that area and all the sacrifice and all the money and all the time. Like, I am pretty great. See, we cannot deny the obedience under the premise that this is good or even a great sacrifice. Disobedience costs us. It costs us our integrity. It costs us our future. And it costs us our counsel. The voice of God to an action always requires a level of risk. And our obedience, it may be a sacrifice. But our sacrifice is not always obedience. Elizabeth Elliot said this. She said, does it make sense to pray for guidance about the future if we're not obeying the thing that lies before us today? Bible commentator Matthew Henry, oh, sorry. She said, do what God tells you to do now and then depend upon it. You will be shown what to do next. So what do we need to do? We need to obey. Bible commentary, Matthew Henry said, when the law of God is written in our hearts, it is our duty that will be our delight. See, as followers of Christ, our greatest delight will always be found in obedience to his words. But how do we do this? Be quick about it. Be quick about it. God said it, do it. It's immediate, it's immediate obedience. Immediate. It's not like, mm, it's immediate. Be complete about it. Don't portion it out. I'll do this part, but I'll leave out this part and be happy about it. Oh, what's the point? Right? What's the point if we are just going through the motions of obedience because, you know, we have to? I don't know how that impacts the world. Why don't we stand? I'm going to have Ryan come and just um, play.
Which is better? To obey is better than sacrifice. Why don't you just close your eyes for a moment. If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord, you don't have a relationship with him, but you would like one. You know, we are not saved by our works. No matter how much sacrifice or giving or, or financial gifts or attending church or doing right things, humanitarian efforts, things like that, we can never earn salvation. It is a free gift. It is free. So if you're here, you would like that free gift, not based on anything you've ever done or not done, but just because you're like, you know what, it's time for me to turn my life around and live for the one true God. Just why don't you just raise your hand so I know who to pray for. If you're here and you don't, thank you. Thank you. Father, I just pray for these in the room right now that are like, you know what, Jesus, I need you. I don't want to live my life on my own anymore, but I want to give it completely to you. I thank you as they raised their hand in that moment. Instantly, they were changed. Instantly, as the Spirit of the Lord came on them, they became new. So we thank you that their final destination is with you. We thank you that their time here on earth can be used to fulfill dreams and destiny over their life. Fulfillment of the promises of God. In Jesus' name. We're going to take a few moments. And I want us just to listen personally for what God's asking of you. Because I feel like if we come into a yielded place this morning individually, a place of submission at the feet of Jesus, placing him first, our ears will be suddenly in a line with his mouth so we will hear his voice. He'll refresh us. He'll show us what's next. I feel like as we listen, God's going to speak to some of you about some specific things that he's asking you to do. I actually feel like someone, um, like someone, God's going to ask someone to give a large donation. This is a financial donation, I feel. And actually, I feel like maybe he already has, actually. And no one, I, I feel like God's saying, hey, no one's forcing you to do this. But Holy Spirit is definitely nudging you. I also feel right now that God's going to ask someone to do something um, you've been asked. He's asked you to do something and you've been in debate in your head about it. You've been going back and forth, almost like a pros and cons list. Which there's nothing wrong with. But I feel like he's telling me to tell you that it is of him. And God is saying to do that thing. Don't manufacture a replacement of sacrifice for the obedience that he's asking of you. Father, I ask right now that you would bring revelation to us all of what it means that obedience is better than sacrifice. Show me today how that impacts me as an individual, specifically what is it in my life that I've been over-sacrificing, but really you're just asking for me to obey? Father, would you show us right now? I pray that you would just begin to put highlights and spotlights on areas in our life that you're like, I kind of want that. Over here, that's, that's good. Right here, go this way. Even the, the decisions that's been swirling, I see like a swirl happening in someone's heart or in their mind where it just feels like you're swirling and you don't really know. It's been very confusing. Well, the Lord is saying that I am not the author of confusion. And if there is confusion, then you need to get back into realignment with my word. 
And when you're back into realignment with what is good, what is pure, what is holy, what is righteous, suddenly that swirling is going to stop. And it is going to become very clear of what I'm asking you to do. And I even feel in this moment for someone that as soon as you the swirl stops and you see it, you're going to be like, I don't like that. I don't want to do that. And, and God's going to say, you, this is the way. This is the way. Oh, there is reward on the other side of your obedience. Oh, there is, there is reward on the other side of your yieldedness, on the other side of your submission. You will reap friendship with the Lord. You will reap benefits in your life. You will reap a strong future. I feel like even there's some that you've, you've prayed for so long for something and now you're just trying to make it happen because you're like well God didn't come through it's kind of like when 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 Saul was waiting for Samuel and he's like it was seven days and two minutes and he hasn't been here yet and then he tried just to make it on his own and you're there you're like I've waited and waited and I've prayed and prayed and I'm in a tight spot and I'm running out of time so I'm just gonna do it my way and I feel like it's fine God's saying I have more than fine I have more than fine for you. Trust me. Trust me. You're like, I've trusted you, God. Trust me. Trust me. Father, I just pray. As you're speaking right now, to each of us in our own place. I pray that our answer will be yes. Yes to you. It doesn't matter what the question is, that our answer will be yes. I pray that we would come to the realization that there's no life worth living unless it's laid down for you. Because the moment we lay it down is the moment you pick it up and resurrect it into a beautiful display of the goodness of the Lord. Where we can walk in the favor and authority that you've put on our lives. To go into rooms we never should be in. To release things we never should be able to do. To see your kingdom in the earth. So Father, right now I pray for this family here, this these people, these, these families, that you would guide them and you would give them the courage to stand for what's right and to step out in obedience in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask right now for just a couple, just uh, Craig and, and Shelby and I'm going to close us out, and you are going to be dismissed. But if, if you would like a pastor or one of our ministry team members to pray with you this morning before you leave, if you're like, you know what, I just need prayer this morning. Maybe God's asking you of something to do, but you need someone to agree with you. Or, or you, you just there's something else. You need healing or encouragement or prophetic word. I'm gonna, as I close us out this morning, I'm also inviting you to come if you need that time. So, Father, I pray that your blessing over each and every one. I pray as they go out today that they would walk in the fullness of the blessing of the Lord and see your goodness in every area of their life. In your name, amen.